Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. We've got a lot to get through, and uh, we are on a mission at the moment to talk about Paul's mission to make it our mission. Now, if that's too many mission words, you're in good company, because mission, I don't don't know about you, but for me, I don't love the word. I feel like we need a different word these days. For some reason, it makes me feel guilty or something, you know, that that, uh, here we've got Paul doing some great missionary work, and and, am I anything like that today? Um, But... This is the reason we're doing this series, because we're talking about picking up our own story um, from where Paul left off. So we get to make this story our own. Um, And so hopefully as I go through this, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. So you'll need to follow along because I won't read the entire thing through, but you you will need to just sort of have that as a reference point if you get a little bit lost in there. but before, before we do that, um, I do like to get up here. I'm not up here that often and clear up a few misconceptions that you might have. Um, and that's sort of maybe thinking too much that you, you think anything about me at all. But, um, <laughs> but just in case you do, um, I did choose this date to speak. So um, there was championship league on this morning for any of you that follow football. Um, and both uh, Calvin and Vic and myself um, are, are strong uh, watchers, avid watchers of that. And uh, I won't, just in case none of you know the results, I won't say anything. But uh, um, anyway, but I did choose. I wasn't forced to, to be the person to speak this morning. Um, yeah, and furthermore, I was going to say this, that some people have been asking me, are you and Michael okay? Michael's my husband. <laughs> um, and uh, usually he's not here in the morning, but he, he is here uh, today. So he's, he's over there. We're fine. He just goes to the evening service. Um, we are still happily and often grumpily married. Um, and uh, so he's there, but I didn't know that he was going to be here this morning. So I was just going to show you our most recent photo. Uh, there. That's our most recent photo. So that's all I could find. So there we go. There we are. That's Michael. <laughs> um, whoopsies. No, we don't want to ruin that point, do we? But we won't hold on to that picture. Um, okay, so picking off. So, so last week we had Vic and Calvin take us through Paul's first missionary journey. And um, I feel like we were left with a Paul that was so badly beaten, um, and he was dragged out of the city. And then I kind of feel like Calvin left him there. Just this, you know, he was dragged out and thought to be dead. Um, and if you've read on further, and I'm, I'm sure most of you have, like you do what actually happened, um, Paul's okay. I wouldn't be up here speaking if, uh, if, if that was the end of, of the missionary's journey of Paul or if Paul had died then. So Paul is okay. Um, and so we're picking up into his second missionary journey, but there was a little, little bit that happened in the middle there. Um, before the first and second journey. So there's a bit of time that Paul and Barnabas spend in uh, Jerusalem, and they're, they're making some church decisions there. Um, and then he and Barnabas return to Antioch, and they stay there teaching until Paul feels the urge to go back to strengthen the churches that they had started. Um, but the second journey had a bit of a rough start. And in Acts 15, we read of a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. I think it's interesting that 
that didn't need to be recorded in the Bible, but, but it was. Um, and it talks about there being a pretty sharp dispute. Um, and it was about whether they should take John, John Mark with them on this missionary journey. Um, and Barnabas wanted to, and Paul didn't. And so they end up parting ways. Barnabas does go with John Mark, and uh, Paul goes with Silas. And um, that leads me to my first point, which you've already seen, so it ruins it. And a great theological truth um, is that disagreements are inevitable. Um, and often disagreements there are necessary and, and they're, they're hurtful and they're careless. But there are times uh, when, when people's hearts can be in, both be in a good place and we still don't see eye to eye. And uh, perhaps we can be encouraged just by this little encounter that God can use that um, in his graciousness for opportunity for progress. And here, instead of the one missionary journey, we've got two going either way. Uh, and today, we're going to follow Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey. So here's a map, just in case you're that way inclined and need to see that. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, today, I'm going to, if you find Jerusalem, um, down the bottom there, we're going to go up from there, which I've already spoken up, up to the top, across to Philippi at the very top point of the map there. Can you all see that? Um, and then Vic tonight's going to bring us back down and around. I don't know how far around he'll go, but he'll, he'll bring us sort of along there. So that's, that's what we're covering today. Um, now I think maps are really helpful. Like I do like this, but for me, sometimes I need to see it in a greater, uh, context and see the world because I know continents really well. But when we get to the other part, the only thing I recognize in there is that boot of Italy. Um, so just in case you're a little bit like me, um, I did this little exercise, which was to show where that is uh, in the world. Can you see the black ring there? Now, um, I'm not a flat world theorist, but there are people out there who are. And just for the sake of, of this example, um, do you notice how that is pretty much in the middle of the world there? It's just, it just struck me um, that here I am, little old me, in New Zealand. Can you see where New Zealand is? Speaking about this mission, the same thing Paul was talking about thousands of years ago, and this gospel message has reached to the ends of the earth. And I thought, to me, that was so deeply impacting. You never, I don't know what your black circle is, but we never know. Imagine how thrilled Paul would have been to have known that that was his missionary journey then, and it's gone this far. You never know the impact that you're going to have. All right, so back to our slide here. They get to Lystra. This is uh, here where they pick up Timothy to join them, and they travel from town to town. And uh, it's good news because in chapter 16, verse 5, we read, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So this was a, uh, last week Calvin talked about um, our definition of successful, but sometimes numbers are a, a success, aren't they? And so we have people increasing in numbers daily. Now, Paul did have a preferred route in mind and uh, towns to visit. And in verses 6 to 10, um, we read that Paul was kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word and that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go to certain places. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think we aren't told exactly how he was prevented from going to these places. I mean, I think that's intentional because God guides us in so many different ways. And so we're not sort of have a prescription of this is how God leads. But what we do know is that it was God who was leading him. Um, and it was, it was divine inspiration that, that stopped him. And sometimes we are guided as much 
by the shut doors as we are by the open doors. In uh, Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So it's not, it's not a bad thing at all to have these plans um, and, and ideas and dreams and visions in our own heart. I think it's a very good thing. But it's also a very um, assuring thing that God's plan is the one that prevails. And here we see this happening with Paul. My point here, if you like alliteration, um, is that we do need to be intentional. We do need to be intentional about our faith and the way we live out this life. And at the same time, we need to be inspired. And by inspired, I mean that we need to be directed by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Paul gets to Troas, and it's here where Paul picks up Luke. Let's see if I've got my map back up there. Nope. Um, who's the writer of the book. So that's important. So Luke's written the book of Acts. So it's, it's, it's great to know this is where Luke joins. And so he's part of the story and um, is involved in, in writing down the events that take place. And it's here in Troas where he finally gets some clear direction. In verse 9, uh, this is what happens. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And just a little note here. Um, they were being asked to come. And I think invitation is important. Um, I think we can get ourselves in trouble by going to places where we aren't asked to go. I don't know if many of you have been involved in street witnessing ever, but it was kind of a big thing in my youth. Um, and, and I had an unfortunate experience. Uh, we had decided to go out, uh, no planning or prep. It was done. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, witnessing of that kind is not, is not good, but the way that we did it, we just kind of went out with no, no plan or training or anything. Uh, we went into Ayatea Square, um, and I would have been about 16 and, uh, and there were drunk people around as, as there are at that time of night. And, and I remember being held onto my wrists quite strongly by a drunk person and just feeling absolute panic and, um, and then a fight broke out amongst them, and, and really we didn't do any kind of witnessing it at all. It was just quite a foolish thing to be in that scenario. We hadn't been asked into that scenario. You know, we had just gone in quite, you know, we had a thing in mind to do, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, the, the safest or wisest thing to do. And so invitation, here we've got a man in, in Macedonia saying, come over, we need help. So they're on the map. That means that they've got to go across to Philippi, um, which is in the region of, of Macedonia. Uh, in the in the scripture, it says they had to, so they had to sail across the water. It says they made a direct route, which is a nautical term for for, for the wind being behind their back. So they get there in record time. The town of Philippi it had been colonized by the Romans, so a mostly Roman place. So this is slightly different to what Paul had been preaching to. Um, in fact, there were so few Jews that uh, they, they didn't have a synagogue. Um, and synagogues were typically built, were only built when you had at least 10 Jewish men. So we're sort of assuming that there weren't even 10 Jewish men at that time to build a synagogue. Um, so very, very proudly Roman, the city of Philippi. One of the first things they do then is to go find where the place of worship is. Um, and just as I said, because there was no synagogue to do their prayers, which was outside of the city gates, and this is where they grow, uh, where they go. The group, mostly women who were meeting, 
um, seems to have been met, uh, led by a woman named Lydia, um, and, and that should be familiar to you. Um, and I'm not going to go into the details of that conversion because a couple of months ago we did a series called Journeys and we focused on the woman named Lydia. So all you need to do is go back into our uh, website and find Stanley's message on Lydia. It's a beautiful story of that conversion of Lydia and the group in her household. Um, but again, I just want to point out that Paul was going there as part of his daily routine. He wasn't seeking to convert people. He was just going there. And, uh, and, and there, I believe, they had conversation and community. And as part of that, uh, the conversion came. I don't think that we always need to go outside of our normal routines or natural rhythms to find people who heart, uh, whose hearts are open and ready to hear. Let's go on to verse 16. That point there, too. I just put it up because it's alliteration again and conversation before conversion. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So this is a girl, probably around 12, 13 years of age, and she's a slave. So she's being used by her owners for her gift of divination, which is uh, translated as spirit of python. And in the Greek um, paganism, Python was said to be the serpent god that had these fortune-telling powers, and so she was said to have that. Now, she was making her owners uh, a fair amount of money, so she was good at this gift. Um, it wouldn't have just been commoners that were seeking out her powers, but quite often they used these people in the government to make military decisions. So so there was there was money to be made, but of course her owners were the ones who were making that money. And in the course of this, that she's following Paul and others. And the verse, verses 17 to 18 says she's, she's following them, shouting and shrieking behind. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And Scripture says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. So Paul is annoyed. Or is he? That word that's translated as annoyed, diapaneo, it also means to be concerned or grieved. Now think about this. The girl, she's a child and she's a slave. And I, and I don't think for a moment that her recognition, I mean, she's, she's speaking the truth, isn't she? She's saying these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. I don't think that was the thing that bothered Paul. I think what bothered him was that here was a person trapped, oppressed, and he saw that need for her to be free. She was possessed by spirit, but also possessed by men. Again, I think Paul's not always going about with the intention to convert everyone. He was going again to his place of prayer, and she was following him. He was imitating the love of Christ and the compassion of Christ for people and the desire to see people set free. We don't even read about whether she was dramatically saved or believed in Jesus. We just know she was set free from that slavery and that spirit. For Paul, and I think for us, the ministry of Christ was healing in whatever form was required. We're also called 
to recognise those who need healing and restoration. And oppression these days, we might not see slavery in that, that form here in this country, but it takes on a lot of forms. You know, look at the state of our mental health, our suicide rates, family violence, um, poor health, environmental stresses. There's, there's oppression in those ways all around us. The world is crying out for freedom. And we're part of helping that healing to happen in the here and the now. Uh, if you listen to the to podcast with Gareth this week, um, he talks about, uh, Gareth works for, for World Vision, and he, he talks about the um, deep impact of, of recognizing all the children in need. Um, it's well worth listening to. And it really grabbed, it really grabbed my heart. One of the things that he said about the, uh, the, the mission from the, the person who founded World Vision is about bringing fullness of life to every child. Um, and I just think that, you know, often we think about mission as, you know, let's get everyone saved. But I think there's something greater there about salvation, which is about this fullness of life here and now for those who most need it. Unfortunately, this is where the trouble starts for Paul and Silas because the owners of the slave girl are livid. That's going to happen when you take away someone's primary form of income. So it leads to some pretty horrific treatment of them. And the verses that follow, um, again, read because it's not up here, 19 to 24, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace, made false accusations against them. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So... This is what Google tells me a Roman <laughs> prison looks like. Um, and so let's just go with, go with it for now. Uh, that hole in the floor, I was thinking, what, what is that? Um, and then you look here, you see that hole above. I don't think it's the same prison there. But, but often what they would do is sort of their max, maximum security kind of was to lower the prisoners from that hole down into the bottom cell. So we can maybe assume that Paul and Silas were put down in, in the lowest of the low. It was a cruel injustice for a crime not even committed. What the rulers didn't know at that time is that Paul and Silas actually were Roman citizens, and it's illegal for Roman citizens to be flogged, and worse still for them to be put into prison without a fair trial. Human injustice, it really is, it's a sad reality in our world, and yet we see Paul and Silas responding to it in a strikingly similar way to Jesus as he was led to the cross. You know, I kept reflecting back as I was reading this, the sort of suffering that Paul and Silas were going through and how they were, how they were responding and how similar it was to the story we read of Jesus as he goes to the cross. They didn't defend themselves. They didn't resort to violence. They didn't assert their rights. Um, we don't have time to go into it today, but later we, re we read that they did profess their citizenship, which paved the way for other saints to carry on the work of the gospel without persecution. I don't think God's intention was that they suffered, but there was good that came from it, and it certainly was an expected part of being a Christ follower. In First Peter we read, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his footsteps.
Sometimes our best witness is our response to suffering. N.T. Wright says it beautifully. We would much prefer it if we could have the result without the process. You can read it. The crown without the cross. But that is never the way of the kingdom of God. See Paul and Silas responding to their suffering. Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) Some children's versions of this story, they liken their praising to a dance party. Um, I remember showing this in kids' church um, a couple of years ago, and that, that's exactly the words they use, and they had a dance party. <laughs> but somehow I don't think so. These men were badly beaten and thrown down, and, and it says they had um, secured their feet, so I don't think they were dancing. Um, nor do I think they were sort of singing out praises of name it and claim it kind of things. What they would have been doing is reciting psalms that they knew from childhood, psalms that called on the sustaining grace of God to strengthen them and to give them hope. Albert Barnes, a theologian from the 19th century, writes this, and it's beautiful, so listen. What more sublime spectacle has the earth witnessed than that of scourged and incarcerated men suffering from unjust and cruel inflictions and anticipating still greater sorrows, yet with a calm mind, a pure conscience, a holy joy, pouring forth their desires and praises at midnight into the ear of the God who always hears prayers. The darkness, the stillness, the loneliness all gave sublimity to the scene and teach us how invaluable is the privilege of access to the throne of mercy in the suffering world. Now, if I haven't said this enough, Paul and Silas, they weren't preaching the gospel there to the prisoners. But it says the prisoners were listening. And and the word used here is is listening pleasurably. So maybe they had amazing voices. Uh, Maybe it was the acoustics of the cell. But I think more likely than that, in this cold, dark, and unforgiving place, the love and the mercy of Christ was beginning to break through. And then in a more literal sense, it breaks through in the form of an earthquake. In Acts 16, 26 to 28, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So here we've got our final character, the jailer, a retired Roman soldier. He would have witnessed and been a part of that cruel treatment, and now he's about to turn the sword on himself. Why would he have done that? Because the law said that a Roman guard's failure to guard a a prisoner was a capital crime, so that would have been punishable either by death or at least imprisonment. And so, of course, he presumed that everyone had escaped, uh, so this was going to be his fate. But at that moment, Paul intervenes, and he says in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. I had to think quite deeply. I used to think it was just Paul and Silas that stayed in the prison and everyone else must have escaped. And, you know, what amazing character. But it says they all stayed there. So I was thinking, why did the other prisoners not escape? And I can only conclude 
that the prisoners were so impacted by the praying and the singing of Paul and Silas and by somehow this message of hope was getting through to them and they followed their lead in not leaving and not escaping. We think that the miracle was in the earthquake and the opening of the prison doors. There we go, you can be set free. I think that would have just caused mayhem um, and ultimately the death of the jailer. I think the real miracle was in the transformation of those lives of the prisoners and now the jailer being saved from death. The captives were being set free, but in an entirely different way from what we think. The jailer being so drawn by this love and mercy, he's compelled to bring them out of their cells and ask, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And now we're not, again, necessarily talking about eternal life. I don't think that was in the mind of the jailer. But he's seen something in this, in this, in this whole line of events that's asked him, that's, that's made him think, how can I be healed? We're talking about healing and forgiveness and freedom in the here and now. This is about us bringing the kingdom to earth. I find it incredible that this is what the prophet Isaiah said earlier, in a much earlier time. You guys will know this verse. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. is that amazing? So what follows on from this, an amazing transformation. Are we still tracking okay? Um, they say in, in, in verse 31 to 34, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. This is what Paul and Silas respond to the jailer with, you and your household. And they spoke the word, word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. It's likely that the house was right next to the, to the uh, prison there, if not connected. <clears throat> and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before him. See this, this transformation of how they had treated Paul and Silas before and now being impacted by the love of Christ and that restoration that comes. And now he's feeding and healing these men. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. There's incredible rejoicing when people are set free and healed. The love of Christ is transformative and restorative. It sets people free. It's for now and it's for everyone. So how do we pick up our own story from where Paul left off? I hope I've been able to give you the sense of, of as we go about our lives that we can impact in the day-to-day, that we don't need to necessarily set a time and a place to go and convert someone, that we're not looking necessarily for the, the results, but we're just looking to be people that have the heart of compassion that Christ has for others and that we find ways to share that. Who is your Lydia, the person who's 
who's halfway there, um, open and ready to hear the good news? Who's your man from Macedonia who's asking for help? Who's that slave girl? The one who grieves your heart, who's in desperate need of freedom? Who are the prisoners that, having witnessed maybe your suffering, are influenced with the hope that you carry in your heart? Who perhaps is that jailer, the one who has treated you unfairly, but is beginning to witness the love and graciousness of Christ through you? I hope as you leave today and go into your week that you can be the kind of people that are looking for those moments, looking, as we like to say in the vineyard, for the kingdom breaking through, to be intentional, but also to be inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hopefully mission doesn't sound as scary to you. I'm going to get you to stand and uh, Vic's going to close in prayer for us this morning. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.